Kia everybody, what's up? It is Robert and welcome to uh, welcome to another day of of lockdown in New Zealand and the and the rest of the world. Uh, I'm joined by Dr. Paul Wood. How are you, my friend? Excellent, thanks. So I'll give the quick context of this. We haven't um, we haven't properly met before, but last week when I was talking, uh, we were talking about the routines that people had to have uh, to try and get. The, the mental baggage and weight that people would potentially have in a situation like this around trying to navigate and create structure and timing. Like um, I'm, I'm used to it, but a lot of many people are struggling. And I said, man, I want to potentially talk to someone that stuff it. Does anyone out here know someone that's been to prison that understands like structure and routine and just the mental weight and baggage of it. And mate, your name came from every different thing. It was like my email got hit up, my messages flip and everyone was like, Dr. Paul Wood, Dr. Paul Wood, Dr. Paul Wood. It's like, okay, so Dr. Paul Wood, You've been to prison and you clearly understand that. I did a quick Google. For those who don't know, maybe just give a quick one-minute um, little spiel on where you're at now, where you've come from for a bit of context, and then we can kind of we can kind of get into it because it's a pretty remarkable story, man. It's 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 nuts. Yeah, cool. Uh, so let's see. Uh, I I grew up in an environment and around people where I had some pretty unhealthy ideas around what it means to be a man, and I grew up thinking that. What it means to be a man is to be able to dominate others physically. I thought violence was the measure of the man. I didn't think I was supposed to feel distress and unpleasant emotions, uh, anything that made me feel weak or vulnerable. So when I hit my teenage years and I started to experience those, I thought there was something wrong with me. I, I got into drug use to dial down and not have to deal with the reality of those emotions and you know the oh-so-normal human self-doubts that I had that I thought were indicative of there being something broken and wrong with me. And as a result of that, I was gravitating more and more towards uh, individuals who weren't living positive lives and making poor decisions on that basis. I ended up uh, having a dispute with a drug dealer when I was 18, just after my mother had died, and I ended up killing them as a result of that dispute and then spent the next 10 years, 10 months in prison from when I was 18 to 29. And I went in a high school dropout, addicted to drugs, someone who didn't see myself as someone who was capable of anything positive really but as a result of education and starting to educate myself whilst in prison I was able to radically change my life turn my life around you know the original Greek word for educate means to lead out of to lead out of the darkness of your own ignorance and that's what education did for me it opened my eyes and realized made me realize I could be so much more I could do so much more there was so much more to the world but that was a real process that was a real journey and I was the first person in New Zealand prison system to go in high school dropout, uh, complete an undergraduate, then a master's degree, and to have started my PhD, which I'm While I still in prison? While still in prison. And make no mistake, the reason I was able to go that far and do that much is because I had massive amounts of support and opportunity from other people. I had a father who was prepared to pay for my study out of his pension to make that Damn. possible happen. And you know you're not you're not living large on a pension, eh? You know he he made real sacrifices there for me to make that possible. Not only that, Massey University were unbelievable. They bent over backwards to make it possible for me to study. They changed the rules for me so that I could do my master's degree entirely from a distance. And when I went to start my doctorate, the only way I could do that was if I had face-to-face -face meetings with my supervisors. My supervisors travelled hours out of their way from Palmerston North to visit me in prison in Upper Hutt. Damn. So really, you know, my story is an extraordinary story of support and opportunity that was provided to me. But yeah, so I, I spent a lot of time in prison and I reckon uh, in my early years, I spent a lot of that time in solitary confinement as punishment and as um, 
what's referred to as an administration option for the prison. And this is where people are seen as uh, management challenges for the staff. They're either seen as a risk to other inmates or a risk to the security of the prison. And so they can be held in solitary confinement for up to three month blocks. And after three months, it has to be reviewed. And then you can get another three months after that. You can spend a lot of time in solitary confinement for administrative reasons. And so why I were you in there? Were you just bat were you fighting and shit? What was your deal? Uh, yeah, well, I, I went in at 18 and, you know, and I, 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 um, I blamed everyone else for my situation and I adapted too readily to the prison environment. I was someone who always wanted to be uh, seen and valued by people who always wanted to feel that sense of belonging. And I'd already lived a criminal lifestyle prior to prison. Yeah. I got into prison and it was full of people I already knew. It was a lifestyle I already knew, but just really under the sort of, you know, in that micro space where there was no break or escape from it. And when I was sentenced, I, I felt um, hard done by, this is often what people do. It's easier to yeah. blame you else situation and as a result of that i said you know you you want to say this is the type of person i am i'll show you the type of person i am there you go i wanted to live down to those expectations and i wanted to be someone who again would uh be seen and valued within the prison environment would not be messed with by other people and as a result of that you have you know this is the way the prison environment works if you're considered to be someone who's an upstanding member of that community then you're seen as having what's called form and what that means is if there is any perceived disrespect or slight against you, then that will be met with disproportionate aggression. Got it. And if you don't immediately dominate, let's say you have a one out, let's say you have a fist fight with someone and you don't yep. clearly dominate and win that, then if you're someone with form, then you will escalate that yep. by escalating the level of violence, by going and tooling up, by getting a weapon, and by making sure that you come out on top and you dominate. Totally. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's the environment you're in. And, you know, I was an 18-year-old, again, who wanted to feel seen and valued, who was someone who was used to violence. You know, I'd, I'd been exposed to a lot of violence in my life and grew up thinking, again, that that was the measure of man. So it was my comfort zone for me. And I yeah. adapted quite readily. And I, and I had a negative attitude towards the staff. You know, I had a very us versus them mentality in those early years. As a result of that and as a result of, result of ongoing drug use, I would get sentenced as solitary confinement for punishment. And the maximum you're allowed to be sentenced for by the prison is seven days. They can sentence you up for seven days solitary confinement. Yeah. A visiting justice, if it's a slightly more serious offence, a visiting justice can sentence you up to 14 days. Anything beyond that was considered inhumane. But as I mentioned earlier, there's this loophole where the prison for, yeah, for administrative purposes can put you in solitary confinement for three months and say That's it's it. not punishment. There's <laughs> always a loophole, mate. Honestly, like the, I, I remember one of my um, buddies was running a company and he said the most creative people in any organization with a few zeros, it's never anyone that you think. It's always the CFO and the lawyers. They 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 know how to navigate all those little things. So how big is how big is a, a cell? Is it eight by ten? Oh, let me what see. Because you know, um, I would say, uh, I always think of it as comparable to probably a normal sized bathroom. If you think about just a standard okay. size bathroom in a house, right? So what that people yeah, like, yeah, like, like, two meters, maybe two meters wide, three meters long, that sort of thing. Yep. Approximately around that. Basically, what you've got room for is you've got room for 
a bed or a bunk, depending if it's a double cell or not. You've got a little steel toilet, but on the top of that steel toilet is the hand basin. So those are sort of like a little yep. unit there when there's no toilet seat or anything normally on that. So there's no parts you can break off or do anything with. Windows? Uh, depends. Depends where you're at. And uh, in, in, in standard cells, there'll normally be some type of window, but that doesn't mean that you're getting a view or anything. In solitary confinement, though, there's no windows. Uh, what you normally get is it's just cinder blocks. It's just cinder blocks. And rather than having like a bunk or a bed, you have a concrete slab on the ground. And on that concrete slab, you get a mattress. And it's funny because when I first used to start when I first started my sentence and in, in the early years is when I did most of my poetry confinement before I started turning my life around, what they used to do is in the morning at about 6.30 a.m., they would come and take your mattress and your bedding off you so that there was nothing comfortable to sit on during the day and you'd only have this concrete slab in this small concrete room with no windows, just cinder blocks. And then probably about four years into my sentence, that was ruled to be inhumane that taking all your bedding off you during the day. Were the lights off at night? No, no, no. Lights, so the lights, lights are on, lights on the, the whole well, time. This, this is what I say. It depends on the staff members who are on duty. Got it. And it good bastards the level of, yeah. Right? It depends on the level of risk you're, you're, you're deemed as being. So when I first started my first three months, it was like lights on all the time. Because part of that as well is when you get, when you come in for big sentences and when you come in with drug addiction, and withdrawal problems and that sort of stuff, you're on suicide watch straight away. And that means that what you're getting is you're getting like every 15 minutes checked and the lights are generally kept on. There's no light switch in your cell. You don't have the capacity to control your lights. So what you'd see is sometimes you'd have officers who would, you know, turn that off. But a lot of the time people just leave that stuff on because it just makes it easier for them. I don't know if there's any uh, standardised rule around it. Did you have the time? Could you see the time, the clock? Like, could you? Did you have a sense of time? No, no so you didn't know. No, no, no. There's no no sense of time. There's no nothing. It's the and casino move, solitary, man. Right? Yeah. And solitary confinement. How you measure your day is based on your meals and based yep. on musters. And based, based on, on what? Time. Based on meals and what? Musters. So muster is just the name for when the guards come around, and it's like doing a muster of cattle when they're counting heads. You know, that's where the term comes from. And so what you'd do is you'd go, so as I started, again, when I started, they used to take that mattress and then you'd know, okay, so this is the beginning of the day. You're going to get your breakfast. And then you, you, they're supposed to do musters and how often those are done, it sort of depends. They don't do them as frequently now as they used to just because there's less staffing now as a result of greater budget constraints and an and explosion of the prison population. But let's say they do them, you know, every hour, sort of walk around, do a muster. You might see that. But also they might not always bother, depending on the diligence of the staff members who are on duty that day. And then you've got your next meal, and then you've got your last meal. And that's how you measure your day. There's no, there's no other uh, method. Uh, what I would say, though, is, is remember I was saying they used to take your mattress. Then they ruled that to be inhumane, and so you'd get to keep your bedding. But that wasn't you know, something that was known amongst the inmates. And I remember being in the pound. The pound is what you call solitary confinement in New Zealand. In the US, they call it the hole. You know, that's yep. what you'd hear in the movies. But in New Zealand, we call it the pound. So you're down the pound. And I remember the guards coming in and giving me breakfast and not taking my mattress. 
Yeah. And I remember them walking out, and I remember that I remember this is what I thought. I thought they've forgotten. So what I would do is I would spend the rest of the day, whenever I'd hear the guards approaching to do their muster, I would stand up. I would yeah. go as close as possible to the door so when that they open the slot and have a look in, I'm, I'm hiding it because yeah, I don't want them to see that my mattress is still there because I think they've forgotten. And I'm thinking this is the best thing ever. But actually it was because it had been ruled inhumane to do that and so they'd stop doing it. So when, so and obviously, you know, you served your time, you came out, you did the masters, and then you saying you did the you started the PhD when you're in there. No, so did you finish no, it when you're no. out? And and now, yeah. I guess your life's taken a, a a mega turn. And so where are you at right now? Like, what's your life now? Living in Wellington, wifey, oh, two kids. Hundred percent, couldn't be better. Living the dream, living a life that's better than I ever could have imagined when I was younger because I've never seen a life as good as this. You know. Mm. I own my own house. I've got a mortgage to pay. I have a wife who's just, oh, you know, so fantastic. You got to say kids. that as well, bro. You got got to say that. Give us some more. Uh, be like, she's got to watch this later. Oh, she's, she's the best. Really oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> she really is. You know, and, and you get the wife that you need sometimes. Eh? And I've got the wife that I need. And that's a really strong woman who prompts me to want to do better and be better in my life, who inspires me through her own actions, but also holds me to account which is what I need. Uh, and then I've got kids who, you know, obviously the struggle is real when you've got young kids, no doubt about it. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're challenging, they're demanding, but also they're, they're just the stuff of life, the greatest joy I've ever experienced, of course. And, uh, you know, I run a really successful business. I spend a lot of time doing keynotes at conferences, talking about our capacity to strive towards our potential to flourish through adversity, all of that great stuff. But my professional background in the area of psychology I focused on is more around development in areas such as, you know, how can I get better at figuring out who I want to be at life and progressing yeah. towards being the person and managing my emotions as I do so. Because, again, the struggle is real for all of us at the best of times, let alone when we're thrown into circumstances like we have at the moment. Yeah, it's it's kind of a perfect little segue. So because where it had come around with and, and one of the things that, I've been bringing up with um, some of these chats is talking about the wave of, you know, humans are being forced in, in this physical confinement with space and then simultaneously they're being hit from multiple angles around, you know, um, like business and work and layoff and pause and home and no sport and frustration and potentially bad situations on the home front with, with partners and stress and kids and trying to balance what happens next, where's the paycheck come from? Just this, a forced tsunami mm. of mental baggage that so many business like uh, you know the, these big businesses have had plans for what happens when bad shit happens they, they've got protocols yeah. things go in place so many small businesses and the average kiwis and the employees of all these different companies they this is an entirely new world so literally waking up on a monday life's dope all right cool i'm going to work waking up on a thursday holy shit i'm stuck at home and i still have to expect to do everything I know that the the mental baggage has been crazy heavy, and so where I guess you know, and your name had popped up was was this idea of, okay, well, what can you control? You have your space, you have your time, you can see your watch, you know when food's coming. Yes, there's a whole bunch of other niggly shit around it, but at a macro, maybe the, the question would be, what was the headspace that you put yourself in to think about how you would navigate time and energy when you were confined into a physical mm-hmm. physical space? Because I used to be a um, snowboarder, right? So I would get, I would have a kind of a checklist in my brain of how I would elevate my headspace to where I know I had it to do, just to mm-hmm. operate. Like 
you know, I, I need to do this. If I hit that rock, I die. If I do this, th- there's all these things that sort of happen. And so I have mm-hmm. a headspace. So how would you, how did you, and you were young and you're obviously coming through and you'd gone through the ego fight bullshit, rah, mm-hmm. rah, and then you were trying to navigate to this next phase. Mm-hmm. When you kind of stopped and paused and you're like, okay, how do you, how did you mentally gear yourself up to start to control your time and your, and, and, and the space? Mm. Look, I, I think there's a couple of things, right? When it comes to coping effectively in these circumstances, there's how you think about it, how you conceptualize what you're experiencing, and then how you act, what you actually do. And there are a couple of bits I want to tap into there. A key one that really helped me, but actually I subsequently found out through the research is actually a useful one regardless, is seeing the stress and the challenge of the confinement as a challenge, a challenge to be embraced. So rather than seeing it as a burden to be born, as something where you have no control, where there's something which is inflicted upon you, you choose to see it as something which you can sexualize as a challenge that has to be dealt with. For example, when I was in solitary confinement, I knew that this was an effort to break me, to change my behavior Mm. through breaking my will and my spirit. And as as a result of that, my attitude was, Bring it on. That's all the you've com- got. The combative shit, dude. Yeah. It's like, cool. Yeah. 100%. Yep. 100%. It's like, stuff you, you. Watch me do it. Stuff you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, all right. And, and it weirdly enough, yeah, dude. This is what you got for me. <laughs> Seriously. Keep the lights on, son. Take your mattress. <laughs> I don't know who I am. <laughs> you know, I David Goggins on it, eh? You know, that was dude. the attitude. And I, and I just did that naturally because that's a natural yep. human thing. We have this really natural tendency in us in this species to resist authoritarianism, to resist being dictated to. You know, yeah. we have the fundamental desire for autonomy. And for me, I just saw this as, oh, yeah, you want to make this? You want to make this about breaking me? You ain't going to break me. Yeah. But but there's, there's universal, generalizable takeaways for that for all of us now. And that is, don't see this as something that's been done to this. See this as an opportunity for you to actually test your metal and to show what you're made of. Because I'll tell you this right now, you know, you don't have any idea of just what you're capable of dealing with till you find yourself in that situation where you have to deal with stuff. Yep. People regularly say to me, oh, I wouldn't have survived that. I wouldn't have been able to cope with that. That's a load of rubbish. You have no idea just how much misery you can cope with. You really don't. Yeah. And the thing is, is, that misery, that suffering, that stress, like what we're experiencing right now, that is not a threat to be avoided. That is a challenge to be embraced. And the benefit is, is this is what I actually now know from the research, is if you conceptualize what you're experiencing now as a challenge to be embraced, rather than as something that's been done to you that you have no, no choices and no ability to step up and lean into, when you see it as a challenge to be embraced, you actually activate the part of your brain which is associated with growth and learning Whereas if you just see what's happening right now is something where you have no choices, you have no ability to choose to step into this, to lean into this, then what happens is you activate the part of your brain which is more around that fight, flight and freeze, is more about dealing with strong threats. And as a result of that, you expose yourself to more toxic levels of cortisol and other stress-related hormones, and you will find it significantly harder to deal with. Spirals it down. Right. Whereas if you go, this is a challenge to be embraced. This is going to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy, but you know what? Stress and pressure and challenge, that's how we grow. Yep. That's how we grow. We don't grow when times are easy. 
and it's that mental see i i love that because it transitions straight to the, the sport thing too especially even you know like when i was young you know challenges and shit you know 11 when i was 11 my dad had a double brain hemorrhage and a stroke and i was kind of man of the house mm. growing up in Ardenui Christchurch had 11 and all the crew around me like that would have been such an easy chance to be like oh it's just i'm gonna go do the bad shit because i've got that excuse or whatever and in my head mm. i'm like oh, stuff that all right watch me steamroll the shit and then when i was 15 yeah. um unfortunately he passed away in a um, car crash which was which was gnarly and then at 15 in Ardenui you've got you know, we're on the benefit and gangs and drugs and bullshit all around me and you know I don't know shit. That's even more so the time when everyone would have been like, "Oh, of course you're going to go do the bad stuff." And I'm like, "No, nah, all right, watch me." And then my, you know, my careers advisor mm -hmm. basically, she said, all right, "You know, when you could, when you grow up, you could work in a warehouse packing boxes, and that's the ceiling they put on me." And to your exact point, I'm like, "I right, cool, watch me, flipping, watch me." Yeah. And it just gave me. It, I turned it into like fuel of like constraint. It's like, cool, give mm -hmm. give me like a flipping a, a, a red cup and a piece of wire i'll make a building out of this shit i'm gonna macgyver it like you watch me make a harder harder, yeah. harder. and i've got this weird competitive thing when and i know that the tougher it is for me when i know i'm looking across the other side and i know that i've been to places that they haven't been to and i know mm. that i've done shit that they've never done i feel it's it's actually empowering it's like cool mm. and like i mean seeing so many some of my friends even in this last this corona stuff pivot and change entire business like cool i'm locked out you watch me for, like michelle dickinson yesterday she had an entire international uh, seminar business doing all her conference stuff and everything collapse mm. overnight she's stuck down she's got nothing and in seven days she's like cool watch me turn this virtual watch me make an academy watch me do this content machine watch me you know and it's like it's that headspace so the approach of it was so mm. yeah in your head is take the the threat of it being done to you as an opportunity for growth i, I love that like attack it it's just like you know hundred percent. You know, I was talking to a friend who runs a business over in uh, China and they were talking to me about how in Chinese and Mandarin, the two characters that go together to form the word crisis are actually the character for danger and the character for opportunity. Hmm. And that's the thing. Crisis equals opportunity. You know, this is your chance to actually really reflect on who you want to be in the world and start growing towards being that person. That was one of the things prison did for me, Right is it gave me that space to go, hang on a second, is this actually who I want to be? And it yeah, was some real shit. It's a forced reset. Like Rod Snodgrass was talking about that last night. He's a, um, he was like young exec extra when he was 20 something and it's just, you know, corporate weapon. And yeah, he was on the exact same buzz of just using this time to reset and then reimagine what that future could look like. Yeah. And I want you to think about this. One of the most common deathbed regrets, right? Be sobered by this. We should all be sobered by this. One of the most top common deathbed regrets is I wish I'd lived a life that was true to myself, not what other people expected of me. What we do day to day is we live our lives based on who we think we're supposed to be, what we think we're supposed to do. For others. Going, What's true and real for me? When I look back at the end of my life, what do I want to be able to measure myself by to go? I really lived according to my values and according to what was true and real and important for me. Now is your opportunity to take stock and go, what is important to me? Yeah. Who do I want to be? You know, we, as a business owner myself, right, in business we always complain about not having enough time to work on the business because we're working in the business. Yep. Now is the time to be stepping back and taking that strategic life perspective to, to, to not be as distracted by the day-to-day -day admin of our task list and to go, hey, what is it I actually want for myself from that long-term strategic perspective? Who is it I want to be that I want to start growing into now? Because now is the yep. opportunity to be doing that, right? And here's a key- forced time to do it as well, right? It's, it's you have the, is, yeah, 
So you no, know, continue. Go for it. I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned before your competitive tendency. That is something I so relate to. And and this is the thing, though. I, I think a key thing here is now is the opportunity to shift that competitive focus for ourselves onto being the best version of ourselves. And what that means is our measure of progress and success is who was I yesterday and who am I going to be tomorrow? And what real success, what winning looks like in the situation is tomorrow's version of ourselves being just that little bit better than yesterday's. Yep. And I think just right now, you know, you're not always going to be, you know, your ideal version of yourself in these circumstances. If you're someone who's lucky enough not to be overly impacted by what's going on, then you're probably going to miss opportunities to actually show sufficient concern and sensitivity to other people who are struggling. Mm. So that's your work on. If you are someone who's struggling, then it's about adopting the mindset and the practices that enable you to cope more effectively with the challenge. And we're yeah. all, we all have that opportunity to just get incrementally better at that day to day. You know what, we've got four weeks is what's scheduled for this. It'll probably go for longer, I would say. You that time to be going, hey, day to day, what one thing I can start to be doing a little bit better tomorrow because it's those small steps that take you a long way. You know, when I think of my story of transformation and change, I'm not there. I'm not sitting at the top of my mountain as a human being right now. I tell you what, I am a massive work in progress like we all are. Yeah. I have come a long way and I've come a long way because I've what I did is I went, what are the small things I can focus on today? I'm not going to wait for some imaginary future where my circumstances are better. You know what everyone says in prison? Everyone says, oh, when I get free, when I get free, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Fuck that. I didn't wait yeah. till I got free. I said, what can I do right now? What can I do today? What can I control right now? I mess with that shit heavy because my thing is is the, 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 they call it the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah. Oh, bro, should have done that. Oh, I would have done that. Oh, I could have. Yeah, but you didn't do shit. You stayed there and we're up to piss all mm-hmm. stuff. You, mm-hmm. it's like, what are you going to do right? So I always think about instead of, instead of um, offense and defense, instead of reactionarily waiting back for someone to give me an opportunity for everything, I'm like, stuff that. Let's flip and go take that shit. Go do that shit. Because if everyone sits on plays defense, no one's going to move one piece. And I'd rather take mm-hmm. exactly your point or that one little step or, you know, the, the classic athlete thing is, you know, just every day is trying to get better. Every single day is trying to get better. It's like, nah, yeah. that, shit's for, that shit's for real. Like every little piece, because then when you extrapolate that out of, over time and you've had a positive headspace with positive momentum and thinking about one mm-hmm. little bit that you can do more, it gives you a great, it gives you so much more upside. Like honestly, like now when I think about it, I way would have rather doing the journey I had than had flipping. 10 mil in the bank from my parents or some shit when I was 16 didn't have to do shit because I would be meant I feel I'm mentally tougher than flipping so many people and emotionally more resilient than so many people and I I feel it's this the what people were would many would have said as a liability has become a full asset and I've just stayed the flipping exact same shit but to to the to the point around what what I wanted to get to is the the forced reset that people are now in is making them question I guess you're talking, we've been talking a lot about the professional side of things, right? You know, remote working and tech and Google Hangouts and Teams and yada, yada, yada. But actually, it's quite, it's quite interesting is, is you're taking an approach of, well, simultaneously, it can be around the personal side of, of, of you and how you operate, you know? Like, are you actually in a place that you're happy with doing what you're doing every day and waking up? Are you potentially building future regret for something that would you made? Are you going to play the shoulda, coulda, woulda game? You know, if, if things stop right now, how would you? So it's almost like a, the world is stopping breathing humans are stopping to, to, to breathe. And obviously in some environments, they have the luxury. There are plenty that they're, you know, hold away potentially by themselves in their house and maybe they miss some people, but they can force time. 
Some mm. others are not so lucky and fortunate, right? There are some other, there are many right now who are forced into full experience of business work, mm-hmm. but in a personal environment that might not be the best. So in terms of maybe kids running around going crazy or just not the job or stress. So if you're in a, if you don't have the luxury right now to be in a safe space mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, maybe it's work or finances or whānau or, or, or relationships or whatever it is, how would you, what advice would you give them to kind of approach this next thing? Because it clearly starts with the headspace first to then, and then it goes over headspace, strategy, awareness, education, execution type thing. Like how mm-hmm. do you, how do you navigate that process um, or advice that you'd give for others that might be in a spot like that? Okay, so you want to think about a lot of the first thing you need to do right now is you need to accept whatever your current state and reality is, whatever your capacity is. I want you to think about this, like our capacity to cope and recover with stress and pressure in general, that's like our mental fitness. And if we're mentally fitter, we can cope with more for longer before the wheels come off. But all of us will have a point where we hit fatigue. What we've got at the moment is we've got additional pre-fatigue factors going on. So it's not like we're going into things as fresh as we normally would. We've got all this additional stuff, which is sapping our energy. And as a result of that, we can't expect ourselves to be bringing our A game. This is not the normal equivalent of us going, okay, hey, we're just going to go out for a run in the morning. This is the equivalent of us going, I'm just going to do a thousand burpees, then go for a run. We have to accept that the fact that there's so many other fatigue factors going on is going to impact upon our performance. Mm. And be around there don't expect that you're going to be bringing your a game right now but you don't need to be bringing your a game right now what you need to be doing is using this as an opportunity to go hey look the struggle will be real however i have to deal with that is how i have to deal with that there's no shoulds around this it's not that i shouldn't be feeling any stress or pressure it's not that i should be able to bring my a game and perform in the same way i would as if i had come into things fresh and i didn't have anything else going on is dialing down your expectations of yourself, being more self-accepting and just working with what you've got. And if that means, you know, spending less time than you normally would devoted to your work, working in smaller chunks, you know, then that's what you do. You have to work with the reality of the situation, not what you think you should be able to do. Yeah. Reality. You'd be surprised with what you can actually do. 100%. But also mm. as well, what you're doing right now is you are putting money in the bank in terms of your future um comparison right so what you're able to do is like for me for example like i look at the situation at the moment and i go this is nothing compared to solitary confinement or actual prison so i have right now it's probably double the size oh right i can go and make myself something to eat if i'm hungry you know in prison being hungry all the time is like a, a, a just a fact of your day because you can't go and get yourself food or anything right so this is great for me because i can compare down i have this this lower base point what a lot of people are doing right now is they're experiencing a period of confinement where they're going, I've, I've never experienced anything this restrictive. Yeah. Now, when you get out of this in the future, you're going to be able to go, this is great compared to that lockdown period I had. So what you're actually doing is you're actually giving yourself Your some perspective. money in terms of future perspective and gratitude. You know, one of the things we know about mental toughness in sport, a big part of mental toughness is your previous benchmark for misery. It's yep. your ability to go, oh, I've done something harder than this before, so I know I can get through this. That's exactly it. Yeah, I've already done a 70-footer. I know this 50 ain't going to be shit. You know, I've already done it. Yeah. Exactly. So this is, when I was in uh, Fiji at six, I still remember I I had 
extreme um, perspective at an early age because I knew that we were rich because I had leather sandals and some people in my class had plastic mm-hmm. sandals. And I was, you know, nine nine years old. I used to go to my mate's house, Ollie, because his mum used to have CC chips and they used to have cheese. And so I could put cheese on top of the CC chips and put them in the microwave and have, you know, like shit like that. And it's all these like things yeah, around the shit out of you where you have like just a better level of um, like perspective and gratitude. And so now, and it's great because any all the crazy dope shit, cool stuff that I do, everyone knows where I came from and everyone knows my shit. So I'm like, I'm not taking any of it for granted. So I totally know what you mean though. When you can free be like, yeah, enjoy that fresh air. Enjoy the the high yeah. five that you can have with your buddy. Enjoy being able to sit down at a bar and watch watch a, the All Blacks game. Because everyone's going to remember this as a, I'm not saying like, uh, it's like BC, PC, like before Corona, post Corona, but it's flipping, <laughs> it's it's making so many people, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome in, in some ways, right? 100%. But also, well, I want you to keep this in mind. So we've got that benchmark. This is going to be the benchmark for some. But also, you can just compare down more generally. Naturally, what people do is they compare up. And what that means in psychology is they go, oh, I wish I was allowed out. I wish I could go to the beach. I wish I could see these people. We wish for all of these things which are actually outside of our control, which don't make us feel better, which don't make us more effective or more resilient. Whereas that comparing down for perspective, that going, how much worse could things be right now? Totally. You can do even if you haven't had that experience. Let me give you an example, right? So say I, I found out uh, yesterday that uh, a friend of mine, someone who, who, I, who I really you know love dearly, has got cancer at the moment. And it was like a punch in the gut. And they're the same age as me, right? They're like early sort of 40s. And I was like, oh, my gosh, my heart so went out for them. Um but also as well, you know, think about that. That made me grateful for my health and the fact that no one in my bubble right now needs to be visiting the hospital for chemo or radiotherapy or anything. But think about how much worse it could be than that. Imagine being in the Mary Potter hospice right now, end of life, and not having family members and loved ones able to visit, right? Things can be so much worse than they are right now. And if you want to be effective and resilient, Stop comparing up. Stop wishing for things being better and start asking yourself, how much worse could things be right now? Because that stuff will help you remain more resilient and effective. And I used to do that in prison. One of my favorite things to do would be to read about Russian prisons, Brazilian prisons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prisons. And then I'd be in New Zealand prison and I'd be like in perimeter and maximum security worried about getting attacked and that. But I'd be like, this is a hell of a lot better than it would be if I was in China right now where my parents yeah. would have sent the invoice for the bullet used to execute me. You know, just keep it real. Whatever yeah. you think your situation is now, it can be worse. And I tell you, my situation is great. Your situation is great. A lot of people are in far worse situations with family violence and other stuff going on during the lockdown. But make no mistake, it can always be worse. And reminding yourself of that, as counterintuitive as it is in our ultra-positive society, that's how you remain more resilient and effective when the things that are causing you stress and pressure are outside of your control. If they're within your control, of course, change them. But if yeah. they're not, comparing down. I, I, I love that that idea. It just makes you, you pause and re- reflect and actually, you know, because I, I call myself, you know, like I'm a relentless optimist. Mm. And I even joke about, oh, yeah, even if, you know, my house was burning down, I'd be like, dope, man, at least I fucking had a house. You know, like, mean. At least I, at least I, at least I had it, you know, at least I, you know, yeah. and just to be able to pause and like, holy shit, I've got fresh drinking water, mean, holy shit, you know, I'm staying inside and I've got, I'm, I'm warm, mean, I've got enough clothes, dope. I want to test this with you though, right? Because in psychology, what we talk about is we talk about the value of realistic optimism. 
okay? Hmm. There's a type of optimism, which is Pollyanna-ish. And this is the type of what optimism. What does that word mean? Poly, what does that Pollyanna mean? is a character from literature who everything is always good. This okay. is the person yeah. when the Titanic's sinking who's going, we don't need the life rafts. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the person who lives in denial, who, who is incapable of confronting the reality of the challenge. And yeah. so the optimism is unhelpful and unrealistic. And just to clarify, that's not all we're talking about. Eh? We're talking about that belief that we can be grateful for how things are and that things can get better and yep. that we personally have the power to make choices now that will result in a positive, more better future for ourselves. That's yes. the type of optimism that I'm hearing from you. And that's the type of stuff, the realistic optimism, because I'll tell you this right now, the optimism that I'm seeing from people on the news who are flouting the social distancing oh, and Muppets, out there, that is that Pollyanna shit. That is yeah, that yeah, I tell you this right now, I, I'm not a scared person, eh? I don't feel scared right now by the pandemic, but I feel appropriately wary and cautious because I know the reality of this situation based on what's gone on in Italy, what's going to go on in the yeah. US and places. And I tell you what that means is it means I'm optimistic, but I'm also not denying the reality. I'm yeah. taking appropriately measures to, to protect my family and to contribute towards society at this point. The people who are out there going, oh, this is all hysterical. Oh, did I, we'll just go to the beach and play Frisbee and that regardless. Those are people who are not living in the real world at the moment. Yeah. I tell you right now, I've got close friends who are uh, senior uh, police officers and army officers. And I tell you right now, the New Zealand Army is preparing temporary morgues and it's getting the body bags ready because this is some real shit. It's yep. going to be going on. And anyone who's who's treating this as if it's just some hysteria and it's not going to impact New Zealand in the way it's impacted other places unless we do everything we can now to stop it, you know, they're living in denial. And again, I'm not being pessimistic. I'm optimistic about this. I believe that we can really minimise impact and we can do this, that we're empowered to do it. But you get what I'm saying here, eh? Realistic. Right. Handy. Well, I think that's, it's, you know, just blind naivety to, to to the realities of so much and i think that's where people get their, their headspace mixed up i get more i think it maybe mine's more of a um internal positive relentless optimism around people and feelings and thinking but externally yeah. of like common sense is definitely a, a flip and no brain it's something i've been really intrigued around so with yeah. your with your how did if you're at a house right now and you got it is the key thing you're saying is Get your headspace right, and then lock into a routine. Is the like talk about routine for a second? Because I'm imagining yeah. there's a, there's these new worlds. Like even just talking to um, a friend the other day, they're working out. You know, um, I get up with the kids at seven, and then wifey does nine to eleven, and then I can smack out my work from eleven to one. Like there's like they're creating these new forced routines. What's your some advice or thinking around the idea of you know routine creation just to keep the sanity? 100%, 100% think that it's a great idea, particularly for the adults, to be honest, probably more so for the adults than the children. Children are inherently far more adaptive in terms of disorder and a lack of routine. And that's because for children, actually, the whole world's novel. Everything's a discovery all the time, particularly for younger kids. So while they do tend to do well with routine, it's not as important for them in terms of a stress management perspective as it is for adults who require a greater sense of certainty. So I think there's real value in that. And one of the things I'd say is, is it's about going, it's about going that micro stuff. What is the stuff that I can control and how can I focus on that in terms of my routine as well? Um, one of the things that you see in prison that people do 
is because so much is out of their control is what they do is that they just end up focusing massive amounts of energy on the fewer things that are in their control. For example, like tidying their cells. Like you have a lot of people who use tidying as a real coping strategy to assume yeah. a greater sense of control for themselves. And so you have a lot of people whose just cells are immaculate, so almost like OCD style level of, of cleanliness and tidiness. And I'd say what people are doing there is they're just intuitively finding a coping strategy to give them that greater mm. sense of control. But we can do that more deliberately, right? But control the bubble, right? That's the thing is, is con- you know, like it is, is, you know, you know where your thing's set up is that you have the formula for where your tea goes to do your thing, or you have your clothes yeah. set up for the next morning so you know you're going to jump out and go for a quick run, or then you have, you know, your, your desk. A big thing for me is... Um, symmetry in my work environment where it's mm. clear structured things so when i look at it it's like a clean slate for me to then come through and then my and then mentally i can like that's a big reason that i i go lots of just black and white because i don't want any yeah. i want it as I, I see it as a blank canvas to create and then it's just my mind that fills it up with with it does that make sense it's kind of mm. i know it's a bit who will say shit but like that's how i envision envision or just get my headspace i guess a bit more dialed for for routine and structure to create yeah yeah I- uh, yeah, I love that. And, I, and something I want to really emphasize, particularly for this lockdown period, is focus on the things you can control, which is yourself and how you respond to other people in your bubble. Do not try and control other people in the bubble. Yeah. And this is a basic one as a parent, right? Because in, in business as usual times, what I'll be trying to do is instill a greater sense of discipline in my kids in terms of picking up after themselves, that type of stuff. I've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old. During the lockdown period, I'm not focusing on that. If there's mess, I'm going, I'm going to tidy it up. I can control that. And I can also guarantee the outcome there. I'm not going to be trying to use this as business as usual, educate my kid. I'm going to be using this as, hey, we're, we're in crisis mode here. What death I'm going to focus on, yep. death on four, I'm going to focus on me and what I can control or try and control, which is me and how I respond. So if there's mess, rather than go and clean that up, when I'm already emotionally pre-fatigued and therefore getting even more frustrated when that doesn't happen, I'm going to go, okay, clean that up, doesn't happen, what can I control? Me, I'm going to clean that up. This is not business as usual, I'm going to focus on myself. What I'm also going to do is rather than worrying out about things like time out for my kids, I'm going to be more focused on time out for me. And yes. this is where I go, okay, I'm starting to feel the frustration rise here. I'm going to take some time out for my girlfriend. Oh, right. Yeah, and, and that's right. exactly the... Um, oh, you, got, you got a secret guest. You got a special guest. Oh, what up? What's popping there? You got the Mickey Mouse eyes hiding. You got the Mickey Mouse stuff? What's what's, what's popping in your house? You, you're messing with Pow Pow Fish? What are you, what are you guys at? <laughs> now, you what? boys... This is a work call. You can say hello, but then you've got to say goodbye, please. Yeah. Hello. Let's say, yeah. You say, what's up, world? Say, what's up, world? What's up, world? What's up, world? What's up, world? <laughs> All right. So you you're getting famous, man. In, hey. in 10 years, you will look back at this and you're going to get a you wear a screen grab on a, on a T-shirt somewhere. It's great. Come on. you got to get out of here. It's too much fun. No, don't go. You do, do, you, do, you do your thing, mate. Do your thing. Oh, so good. How good. Say goodbye. Later, homie. Deuces. Oh, man. That's called authentic. You're bringing your authentic self to work. Oh, he's snaking in. He's quick. But this is a great opportunity to be a bit more human and holistic in our whole experience and approach. 
You know, we were going to do that. Yeah, she. <laughs> That's right. He's like, you tell him. Be like, yo, listen to your brother, man. All right, here we go. Get out. There you go. Listen to your brother. All right. Mate, I totally. Keeping it real. Keeping it real. It's cool. I think in the corporate world, I think they call it bringing your authentic self to work. Your whole self. Man, oh, honestly, man. I'll tell you when the whole self of most, most um, people that rock and cor- corporates is, is after they've had like five beers on a on a, on a a Thursday and they just start talking shit at the bar. Yeah. That's what that usually is. And I get a bit frustrated with that because I think it's a massive lost opportunity. Mm. They can be a lot more realer, consistent. I don't know. I just think of it a bit yeah. differently. Couldn't agree more, right? I couldn't agree more. And it's it's interesting because one of the things I'm focusing on a bit with people, because, you know, like leadership is something I do a lot of based on my professional background and expertise. And it's, you know, like leading at the moment is really about focusing on servant leadership. And that's going, how are you? How can I assist you? How can I make things easier for you to, to help you cope through this period and facilitate your performance in a way which is consistent with your capacity? Right. It's it's not about, you know, getting all the deliverables done. It's about being human. Being human yeah. is the best thing you can do for yourself and other people at the moment. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's something where the current crisis is forcing that. But that's a, a general rule for us all, right? But I think it's uh, one of the things that Jason Paris, CEO of uh, Vodafone, was talking about, you know, be kind. And, and I was talking to Vic Crone, CEO of Callahan Innovation, and we came up with this little thing. I was doing, you know, like lead with love. And what's happening is the leaders, through the true authentic leaders are again exposed through all this, right? With how they actually roll because they're at home in their t-shirt and shit's going on, blah, blah. They don't have the armor of the boardroom and the suits and ties and all this other bullshit. And it's actually just, you know, like Craig Hudson, the MD of uh, Zero, just straight up there in his t-shirt out on his balcony. All right, team, this was cracking, you know, doing his thing. Yeah. And it's changing. It's It's really... I think it's humanizing though many who are in a position of hierarchical power that have seen as the them in the ivory tower type stuff. And I've never, I guess I've never worked in a corporate. I've never really been, I guess, an employee for anything. But I know the 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 mental fortresses that people put in front of them when they are part of a bigger machine. And I really mm-hmm. am liking the fact that you are seeing the CEOs and business leaders at home in their kitchen having real conversations there's no posturing there's no bullshit it feels like it's at the end of this all the i'm calling like the old school letters of the rah-rah stuff you this is how it's done my way the highway bullshit that stuff is flipping gone burgers eh like i really feel that at the end of this people go like man that my boss really gives a shit about me my boss is a flipping good bastard or a good chick or whatever and like i'm gonna hell yeah and it's actually i have this weird feeling that some companies are going to crumble and be exposed through bad leadership and all these things have been hidden by the veils of, of corporate structure and some are going to come out so tight like it's going to be crazy good so in many ways i i think it's gonna it's a it's a new day for new type of leadership for the for the nation which i which i think is is pretty yeah. good couldn't agree more. And like you mentioned Vic from Callahan there. Like Callahan is so fortunate to have Vic at the helm because, you know, a she's a people focused person. She's someone who believes in the value of her soft skills. And when she says that, you know, her her, her people are a greatest resource in that, you know, she she's not been glib. She really means and, you know, for example, some of the stuff that's been done to help support Callahan's staff, you know, is fantastic. And that's all driven by Vic. And I, I really do think you're right. I think this will be 
a situation where some organizations will be shown to be coming up a bit short and will really struggle with it. Uh, I think it's a it's a great chance for us all though to, to connect with it. You know, there's some really interesting um, research right around, you know, how do we really have a, a happier, a better life? And at the end of the day, when it comes to being happier, what we found is you don't look within, you look between. If you really want to pursue the best life possible, then you want to be looking at your relationships with the mm. different people in your lives, the different aspects. For example, your relationship with work. What is the right relationship for me to have with work? What is the right relationship for me to have with my kids, you know, my siblings, my parents, mm. my friends? It's that between space that we really have the opportunity to focus on right now because our sense of connection and community and relationship with each other is something which is going to be the most important factor for getting us all through this as well as possible in terms of like the opportunities we have for each other, but also in terms of the opportunities for sport. Make no mistake, we're a social species. You know, we've evolved to be members of a tribe, to be members of a community. We depend upon each other for our well-being and for our success. If you want to focus on trying to really flourish more in a way now that will help you, but also in a way that sets you on the right path for the rest of your life, don't look within, look between. I've never Start heard that. In your relationship. I really like that. It, it, it's um, it's almost put a magnifying glass of focus onto the, the EQ part of your being, you know? Like those with EQ now are just leveraging tech to, to scale out who they actually are to others and actually it's a bit of a ninja move i was just um i've done a really bad job today i, I will say um paul i've done a horrible job i usually i'm really good at um following everyone's comments and questions but we've just had the mad banter and i've just let i've missed all these things so um, oh, no. jack was asking leone reed i needed this today mark, mark so inspiring uh zeta so, uh, this is amazing super inspiring and so much truth behind how the brain works um someone even said uh, Paul was like, oh, kia ora koutou, uh, thanks for getting this out there. Michael Philpot, just wanted to catch up with Paul for a while, so give him a big high five for me. Good advice. And oh, someone yeah. goes, yeah. I've yeah. wagged Leone yeah. Reed. I've, wa I've wagged my 9.30 Zoom meeting. This was so good. That's awesome. So fr from here, um, it's, it's been absolutely um, mega yarn. So people want to... Um, I guess you're going to be going virtual for a little bit. Like how, how can, if people want to mess with you and roll with you, how can they, um, how can they link up? How can they connect in? What, what can they do? Where can they go? Okay. So best stuff probably is, you know, social media and YouTube. Uh, DR Paul Wood is the easiest way to find me. Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube as well. I'm going to be posting more and more on YouTube. Of course, all of my work has moved really virtual at the moment. I'm doing heaps of workshops in that in that space, but I'm going to be doing heaps of posts on social media, just brief ones to just give people ideas and help them out. Also, as well, if you've got access to a Kindle or you like audio books, even though you can't get that. Oh, you're there? Oh, don't say you're frozen. Don't say your laptop's died. No. Wait a second. Oh, I'm gonna be so dark if if his shit. I think he was just plugging his stuff and his flipping laptop died. Damn it. Okay. Shit. All right. At least he kind of got the plug in. Oh, gutted. We're we're having such the mad banter. Oh, I'll see if he pops back. If he doesn't, um, 
What a great chat. What a good human. What a crazy ride. What a crazy journey. Um, when I'd asked f about it um, before talking about, oh, he did. His, I think his laptop died. He just disappeared. Fuck. All right. Oh, no, wait. Is he back on? Come on. Oh. My bloody computer ran out of batteries. I knew that happened. I flipping called it. I was like, dude, I think his laptop battery died. It's happened before. What are you rolling, man? Are you on? Are you, let's let's call it out. Mac Air, Mac Air. Oh, but um, obviously my attention to detail isn't that great. It seemed like I had enough battery. It seemed all good at the time. Mac Air for the um, fail. Cheers. Yeah. Hey, look. All I was going to say is that you know, like I, I published a book recently, uh, which I've got really good feedback on, which is called How to Escape from Prison, and you know, people can get that via Audible or you know, um, Kindle, that sort of stuff as well, if they want something, which will give them some ideas around my story of change and growth and some of the universal takeaways for all of us in there. So it's, uh, I hear it's pretty readable. Okay, <laughs> that's good, bro. It's been, I know we haven't um, met properly or professionally before, but this has been a mega chat, dude. I really appreciate your um, your time and your chat. It's been some real shit, man. I, I, I totally mess with it. And even just the, the headspace of how you've kind of approached it. I mean, first up, props on you for mega... The turnaround, man! Holy shit! What a what a journey! So even just like stopping for a moment to just have good perspective on that, because I'm imagining, you know, 99% of other crew that were in your um, similar type shoes have probably not rolled out the same way. So, um, and I'm sure you know, you've been very very aware of that as well. So, man, mm. big ups and respect to you, my friend. I appreciate that, and you know, and this is a key thing though, is that. You know, it's just a story of small steps, man. Small steps make big differences yep. over time. We've all heard that quote, Rome wasn't built in a day. But the full quote is this. Check out how different the full quote is. Rome wasn't built in a day, but bricks were laid every hour. That's what my story has been about, man. It's been about laying those bricks. It's about the daily disciplines. It's about the small steps. That's what radically changes your life. Not any big stuff. It doesn't happen I, in a I've big I've never life. heard that. Is that the actual quote? That's like, Google that shit. That is the full Bro, quote. I kid you not. That is way more powerful because it's like... 100%. Yeah. Dude, love your work, brother. Um, I think Jared's just put up a link um, of the, the book there, how, how to Escape from Prison book. Shot Jared. Appreciate it, my friend. Um, love your work, brother. And I'll see you on the other side of this thing. Eh? We'll, we'll go for a high five and a beer and we can talk about kids running in, into the studio. Awesome. <laughs> Big love to everyone. Shot, brother. Later, bolt what a flipping good bastard what a good human and uh mega mega start to the day shot team see you on the next one uh headspace reset reimagine giddy up and go talk soon